Thank you for downloading this message from Roots Community Church. We pray that you are encouraged by the word. If you're looking for more information, please visit us at rccphoenix.com. We're going to continue on and talk this week about the most important thing about money. And it's the first line in your notes, the most important thing about money. Um, And that thing is not that you have it. (laughs) Some of you would be like, oh, that I have it. That would be the most important thing. No. Um, So but before we dive right in, I want to um, deal with one of the most um, misquoted verses about money in Scripture. And you'll find people who aren't even saved who repeat this verse every once in a while. But uh, people who are saved who haven't actually read the entire passage, you know, fortune cookie, little pieces of it out, you know, like we talked about um, last in our series last year on fortune cookie. It's this, and you guys have probably heard of this. Money is the root of all evil. Ever heard that? Money is the root of all evil? <clears throat> that is um, missing two key words in that scripture. And uh, we're going to talk about them. But we're going to read the entire thing um, so that we have the full context of what's going on here, okay? So, 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 11. Yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. But people who long to be rich fall into the temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. Here we go. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered away from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. But you, Timothy, are a man of God, so run from all these evil things. Pursue righteousness and a godly life, along with faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Money is not the root of all evil. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Not every kind of evil, like, all, like a whole bunch of kinds. Like if you look at some type... Uh, we can make a laundry list. We're not going to do a, a laundry list of evils that are sprouted from the love of money, not having it, but the love. I want it, that it becomes a priority for me. And Paul gives a very stern warning here to say that some people who love it and have the affection for it and chase after it, and it is the, it is the supreme thing in their life over God, they have actually wandered away from the faith because they're pursuing something above pursuing God. Next on your notes, the love of money grows into destructive actions and ideas. Why? Because the love of money reveals a heart issue. The love of money reveals a heart issue. What do I mean by a heart issue? There is an area of our heart that is not submitted or subjected to God. There is an issue internally in us that says, I want you, God, but I really want this too. And kind of holds on a little bit. And then we're going to find out later there's this this war that happens inside of us. It is the root of a heart issue. So scripture addresses the tie between material possessions and the human heart a whole bunch. We're just going to look at four of these um, scriptures real quick. Hebrews 13, 5. Don't love money pretty clear. Don't love money. Be satisfied with what you have, for God has said, I will never 
fail you, I will never abandon you. In a different version, you may have heard this said differently, I will never leave you or forsake you, right? The reason that these things are tied together in this passage is because people lean on their money as a foundation of security, of this will bail me out if I get in a problem. And God is telling us, that the author of Hebrews is telling us, hey, the money comes and goes. The opportunities comes and goes. The wealth um, uh, goes up and the wealth goes down. Ask Bitcoin investors, right? Like, Because you might have been rolling eight to 12 months ago, but right now you might be working at McDonald's, right? Because like it's just $60,000 for one, now it's 27,000, you know what I mean? If that hurts you personally, I wasn't coming at you or I didn't want to remind you. Um, but just ask like some of those things that those investments come and they go. They go up and they go down. That cannot be the foundation of what we rely upon. God never leaves, he never changes, he never forsakes us. We have to rely on him above all else. Matthew 6:24. No one can serve two masters, for you'll hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. What he's saying here is you cannot have two priorities. You can't have these competing, conflicting priorities that I'm going to do whatever it takes to go get paid. I'm going to get as much money as I possibly can, and I'm submitting my whole life to Jesus. There's, these things are going to be in conflict because if one dominates, uh, if one dominates the left side, one dominates the right side, you've got this constant conflict and this war going on back and forth, and eventually you will pick one. You are going to love one and hate the other. It's out of Jesus' own mouth. You'll love one, you'll hate the other, and you cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. You cannot divide your affection. Let's go three verses earlier than that. Uh, Matthew 6, 19 through 21. Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroy them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moss and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. In marriage, you might experience this in a different way. You ever been sitting at your desk or your cubicle or wherever it is you work and think about your significant other and go, man, I would rather be home with them right now. Why does that happen? I got an amen on a Sergio. There you go. Um, the, why does that happen? Because my affection, my love resides with my wife and, I, and it, it trumps where I'm at at the moment. I continue to do this because I want to provide. It's a means that God has given us to provide for our family and for the person that I love, but I would rather be there because my heart is there. And wherever your heart is, that's where your affection is going to be. That's the thing that you treasure. And if I'm always thinking about money, I'm always thinking about how to get more, and it doesn't matter if I compromise my morality to get it, how God's lined out for me to live to get it, then it is my master and not God. The last one, Ecclesiastes 5, 10 through 11. Those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. The more you have, the more people come to help you spend it. Sounds like an old P. Diddy song from the early 2000s, right? The more money we come across, 
There we go, all you sinners. Uh, the more problems we see. Um, I don't even know that song. I just learned it for this message. I'm just totally kidding. Um, so, so, and then he wraps it up. So what good is wealth? Except perhaps to watch it slip through your fingers. You didn't come with it. You're not leaving with it. What good is it? Why make this the chief pursuit of your life when you have the, your creator who could set all these things in order for you? Our Americanized culture celebrates two things, a lot of things, but two things that will be applicable here this week. In the next line of your notes, envy and greed. Envy and greed. How do I know that our culture celebrates these things? You guys probably already know all this, but there's evidence that you see um, in your pocket. Envy and greed are two of the many pillars of social media. How do I know? You scroll through and be like, are you for real? They got that? I've been working harder and longer than they have, and they got that? They just bought what? Oh, I don't want that thing. All of a sudden, it wasn't like, oh, good for them. It was like, oh, good for them. Right? So what exactly is envy? Because most people think envy and jealousy are kind of the same thing, a different word, like, like envy is just an intense jealousy. Well, look at the definition for it. It's a really good definition. Envy, it's in your notes. A feeling of discontent and resentment aroused by and in conjunction with the desire for possessions or qualities of another. So it's not just looking at something somebody else has and going, I want that. Oh, someone who has a similar skill set or a similar level of education has done this great thing and used it as a motivation to kind of build that to go forward. Is it, man, they accomplished it. I didn't think I could. Let me go give it a shot. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the feeling of discontent and resentment that happens on the back end of that jealousy. That's when jealousy descends into envy. can't be happy that they have that thing or they got to go there or they have that type of marriage or their family's doing this well or whatever i can't be happy because i wanted that and it starts to shape this vile gross attitude in your heart and it starts to come out in everything that you do well matt you don't understand I see envy, and it's actually a good thing. I can use this as motivation for myself to kind of kickstart myself, you know, out of my passive attitude or, or my passive behavior. I can kind of nudge myself with this envy. I'm using that as actually like a good thing. It's not going to just sit and rot inside me the whole time. I'm just using this as kind of a motivator. So to ease up on the envy, I, I know it's bad, but I'm just going to use it temporarily to kind of Jumpstart me. James 3, 14 through 16. If you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven. But check this out. It is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. 
For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. Probably not a good idea to think that you could use envy as a motivator to accomplish something and then flip the switch and be like, me and Jesus are good. Greed. What is greed? Put the definition in your notes. A selfish and excessive desire for more of something, such as money, than is needed. You can kind of see this a lot in the ultra uber wealthy in our society, right? Like five million ain't enough. Ten would be better. Ten ain't enough, man. Fifty would be where I'm headed next. And I'm not talking about building a business that employs people and you can make a difference in other people's lives. I'm talking about just the need to, if I can hit that milestone, I'm somebody. If I can hit that benchmark, then, man, I have gotten to a place that nobody in my family, nobody in my whole history has ever made it there. I'm going to be something if I get there. I'm going to go after that above everything. Greed. Jesus directly deals with this issue, Luke 12, 15. He said, beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. It's not measured by how much you own. Matt, the people around me measure my life and my value and my worth by how much I own. Right. They're not operating from the point of a heart that is right with God. <clears throat> now, for those of you who are still kind of wavering on the, maybe I could use greed and envy to kind of just help me out in my life a little bit. This is probably one of the grossest analogies I'll ever use from this pulpit, so just, I'm brace, just brace with yourself and just we'll roll with me, okay? So let's pretend for a second I cooked a whole plate of brownies, okay? And I started divvying them up, and I passed them out, and Ryan and Melinda, and gave some to the Mertz family, and Ross and Val, and could pass them right on down the line, right? And, I, and everyone's like, man, these things look good, they're hot, they're moist, they're great. And everybody starts to pick them up, and I'm like, wait. Just before you consume this, there's a couple of rabbits that live in a bush out by my house. There are. And I figured out where they were, and I just grabbed like three or four of these tiny little rabbit turds and put them in the mix and mixed it all around. And then I baked the brownies. And there's a real good chance that you're not going to get one, but they're awesome. Everybody in here would be like, well, they're probably a teenage guy, right? They'd be like, I'll still eat it. You know what I mean? But outside of the guys who were still like growing past their pubescent stage, after the rest of us would be like, bro, what are you nuts? Why did you even give this to me? Like, this is a health hazard, right? We're, gonna, we're talking to the city about you after this is done. Like, we're going to report this. Why would you do that? Well, there's only a couple of them in there. Well, bro, when you mixed it, it touches everything. You mean you can't just put a couple pieces of crap in a mix and it not destroy the whole thing? You can't just take envy and greed and drop it in your heart and expect it not to touch the entire thing? You can't take in garbage and be like, oh, I'm going to section off. I'm only going to give this part of my life the garbage. It's only going to affect this part. No. It begins to bleed in the whole mix and ultimately taints 
everything. You might think, bro, it's kind of extreme. I'm kind of worried about the sick head that would come up with that example. But God takes it even further extreme in his word. Romans 1, 28 through 30. It's talking about people who know God but reject him. Since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things that should never be done. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. They're backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. They invent new ways of sinning, and they disobey their parents. Next line of your notes, God lists envy and greed as attributes of those who have rejected God. He puts them in the same list as hate, murder, quarreling, lying, gossiping, malicious behavior, pride, and boasting. Those things are not little. They are not little, oh, like a little character flaw. Uh-uh, this is a big one, bro. It's a big one. We cannot use these things and then think our heart is in a good place because the most important thing about money is that we have a correct heart in dealing with it. So when you come down to the church, the next line of your notes, the church deals with two extreme ideas about money, especially during our modern time. The first one, letter A, the prosperity gospel. Newsflash, you don't prosper, and it's not the gospel. <clears throat> but here's what it is. If we give money to the church, God will give us back much more money than we gave. If that was true, I would be a millionaire. Like, I would, be, I would have a lot of money. Why? Because, bro, you're telling me that if I drop 50 bucks off on the offering plate, that somehow in the next little bit I'm going to have like $500? Sign me up. This is the greatest marketing scheme in the world, right? Like, here, give the money, and then he's going to hit you on the back end somewhere. You don't know where. You don't know when. Just be ready for it. So you open up your mailbox and close it. Open up the mailbox and close it. It's not in there yet. Look at your account. It's not there yet. Where is it at? Who's going to bring me $500? And it doesn't work. It doesn't work because why? They take the, the scriptures fortune cookie them, manipulate them to try to get people to give. One of the ones that they, they, they use a lot is uh, give and it'll come back to you, brother. Press down, shaking together, and rolling over like a fruit smoothie right in your lap, right? When, when I was a kid, my little church, they used to sing that song at offering time. Any of you church people in here that? Give and it will come back to you. Remember that? Press down, shaking together, and boom, running over. And people, they would walk down there, and the offering plates would pass, and people would clap. Yay! Right? And they would do all that. They would come down, and they would take the offering. <clears throat> but I'm going to read that passage of Scripture, and we're going to see exactly what it's talking about. Luke 6, 27 through 38. <clears throat> but I say to you who hear, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from the one who takes away your cloak, don't withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from one who takes away from your goods, don't demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, 
do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? Even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies, do good, lend expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and to the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Judge not, and you won't be judged. Condemn not, and you won't be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Let's stop right there. <clears throat> Do you see the picture he's painting here? You are going to encounter people in your life who do you wrong. You are going to encounter the guy who says, bro, can I borrow 20 bucks? I'll get you back on Friday. And you give him 20 bucks, and then you don't hear from him for a month. Where's my 20 bucks, man? You're going to hunt down that sucker and let the air out of his tires and fill up his voicemail and be like, hey, where's my 20? He's saying, hey, if they did you wrong, let it go. If somebody did something to you, said something to you that was hurtful, forgive them. Give grace. Give mercy. Give compassion. Forgive them and give, the, give it back to them in a measure that they're not expecting. Why? Because if you're just nice to people who are nice to you, everybody does that. It doesn't delineate you as someone who's got a heart after God. If someone does you wrong, okay, I'm not going to, you know, walk back and be like, thank you, sir, can I have another? But I'm going to go, I'm going to let it go, and I'm not, I'm not going to chase them down and try to smear them online or leave them bad Yelp reviews if they own a restaurant or something. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not going to go and try to destroy them and go back after them. I'm going to let it go, and I'm going to give grace and mercy. That's exactly what he's talking about, right? You see that in this passage? Now, let's keep going. Judge not, you'll be not judged. Condemn not, you won't be condemned. Forgive, and you'll be forgiven. <clears throat> Give, and it'll be given back to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will it be poured into your lap? For with the measure you use it, it will be measured back to you. Is he talking about money? No. Is he talking about giving money to the church and then somehow later, it's going to magically like, com, you know, combust into the heavenly cashola. You know what I mean? Like 10 times, 50 times, 100 times that what you gave, and then you're going to get it back. No, he's talking about grace, forgiveness, mercy. The measure that you judge somebody else with, that standard is how you're going to be judged. So be careful before you lay it down on somebody because you better be living to that standard or it's going to come back on you. The same standard that you give, the same level of grace that you give will be given back to you. It has nothing to do with the offering. Why take so much time to to review that because it blows another gaping hole, another death blow into the prosperity gospel. If you want to boil down to what the prosperity gospel is, next on your notes, this idea teaches people to give so they can get. It's a sign-off on selfishness. All I got to do to get more is give you a little bit and I get more? Yeah, I'm in. 
doesn't work that way. Now the other extreme. You don't hear a lot about this one, but it does exist out there. On the other side of the prosperity gospel is the poverty gospel. <clears throat> the poverty gospel. This one will leave you in poverty, but it's not the gospel. The basic idea is God wants you poor. This idea was originally presented by a group of people called the Gnostics. We talked about them a couple of times here before. But Gnostics believed um, they had special knowledge that's outside of Scripture. They believed that there was the Bible, but then God showed them things like outside of it that were kind of on the same par as Scripture. But it was given to them and made them special. That doesn't work. They also believed, next on your notes, that anything material was evil, including money. <clears throat> These guys were known to be kind of nomads. They lived out in the desert. They lived away from society. They didn't own homes or you know, a lot of anything because they equated all material possessions as being evil. They wanted to live, quote unquote, spiritual. God grant, um, it, let me, next on your notes, sorry. It's not noble to choose a life of poverty. It's not noble to choose a life of poverty. Matt, that's a pretty big statement. How can you back that up? Uh, God granted immense wealth to many people who followed him throughout scripture. Let's start with the father of Israel, the father of the nation, Abraham, wildly wealthy. Job, the oldest book in the Bible wildly wealthy, lost it all, remained faithful to God, and God gave him back even more than the immense wealth that he started with. The nation of Israel. He gave them Canaan, the land flowing with milk and honey. Now, if you think in your mind that there's like a giant lake of milk and the waterfall is made out of honey, it's not like Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. That's not what I'm talking about. It's a metaphorical um, statement to let them know that the ground is super fertile that you're going to have massive crops. There's a, a lot of infrastructure here already ready for you to start using to build, to raise your family, to raise herds, to, to, to raise animals, livestock, to start the, the, the process of building agriculture. All of that is ready, and the ground is ready for you. It is prepared for you. Immense wealth there in that culture, and so on down the line. Next on your notes, both of these extreme ideas are unscriptural, the poverty gospel and the prosperity gospel. Why? Because the heart of each extreme position is self-centered. The prosperity gospel is selfish, and the poverty gospel is self-righteous. You guys have pursued all this stuff. I've given it all away, and I have somehow achieved some better understanding than you. And because I have nothing, I'm better than you. Self-righteous. <clears throat> so if the heart we have in dealing with money is so important, if the heart behind it is the most important thing, and we have these... You know, the scripture has been very clear about we need to keep our heart right and not love money, not be in love with pursuing it. If that's where, and that's where um, the scripture tells our heart to be, and then the heart of these extreme positions on either end, their heart position and their attitude is flawed, where are we supposed to be? 
I put a question in your notes, the next line of your notes. How do we keep the attitudes of our heart correct when dealing with money? 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19 answers this question. Teach those who were rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so they may experience true life. So the answer to the question, how do we keep our atti the attitude of our hearts correct when dealing with money, the answer is we give to others. Next on your notes, we give to others. So now, you may look at that passage and say, Matt, at the beginning, it says, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and to do all these things. Um, I don't qualify. And I understand that position. But who determines what rich is? And what are we using to, to say that I'm not rich? Well, when I compare to those guys I scroll by on Instagram, yeah, you're not as rich as them. But when you look across the rest of the world, Americans, you are the 1%. The lowest level of what is considered poverty level in America is living la vida loca in most other nations in the world. I have guys that work in my corporate America technology company who came from Asia, from a, a part of Asia specifically, and work in the tech field specifically because they can make enough money to send home and care for their entire family, in some cases, care for their entire family for the year on 1500 US dollars. You may not make it to the end of the month if you drive a car having $1,500. That's two tanks of gas, I think, the last time I filled up, right? Like, it's, <clears throat> it's crazy. But we forget because our comparison is to the wealthiest of the wealthy, the highest of the high on the, on, the, on the money chain. I don't have as much as them, so I'm poor. My friends, we're looking at too small of a sample size. We gotta look at the rest of the world. We have been in this building since 2.30, doing everything we can to get it cool. And it's still 80 degrees in here. And there's part of me that goes, oh my gosh. It's hot. It is hot. Um, until I saw those guys in huts in Eastern Africa gathering together to worship. And I went, what am I doing? 
how impacted has my mind become to think I have nothing when the rest of the world would give anything to trade positions with us? Down with the 1%, careful. Because if you live in America on a global scale, you qualify. Puts it in perspective, right? Don't think we're disqualified. This doesn't apply to me because I don't, I don't match up to what I think rich really is. This applies to all of us, especially living in this country. So now it's not just about giving. There's some further instruction by Paul on how we give. Second Corinthians 9, 1 through 12. This is Paul talking to the church in Corinth, and they've been deciding for a long time they want to send an offering to fellow believers in Jerusalem. Okay? <clears throat> I really don't need to write to you about this ministry of giving for the believers in Jerusalem, for I know how eager you are to help, and I have been boasting to the churches in Macedonia that you in Greece are ready to send an offering, were ready to send an offering a year ago. In fact, it was your enthusiasm that stirred up many of the Macedonian believers to begin giving. But I am sending these brothers to be sure you're really ready, as I have been telling them, and that your, mon um, and that your money is all collected. I don't want to be wrong in my boasting about you. We would be embarrassed, not to mention your own embarrassment, if some Macedonian believers came with me and found out you weren't ready after all I had told them. So I thought I should send these brothers ahead, ahead of me to make sure that the gift you promised is ready. But I want it to be a willing gift, not one given grudgingly. Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. Woo! For God loves a person who gives cheerfully, and God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the scriptures say, they, are, um, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever, for God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And when we take your gifts to those that need them, they will thank God. So two good things will result from this ministry of giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met, and they will joyfully express their thanks to God. There's a lot of good richness in this passage that we don't have time to dive into all the way tonight. Now, we'll talk a little bit of it about next week, but there's a couple of things that I want to drill down on in our time, remaining time here together today. This passage shows us the attitude we should have as givers three bullet points. The first one is a cheerful heart. A cheerful heart. Notice that he says, don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. 
Do not allow anyone to twist your arm, figuratively speaking, to say, hey man, you got to give or X, Y, Z is going to happen. Cannot be put in a position, and I'm not going to put you in a position, or anybody that's behind this mic is not going to put you in a position to ever say, is try to guilt you into giving because we need to make budget, we need to make X, Y, Z happen. Cannot happen. He doesn't want it to be collected that way. He wants there to be a cheerful, celebratory attitude of, I would love to give. It has nothing to do with me being worked. It has nothing to do with me being massaged, you know, from the, from the pulpit. Like, man, I put you in a position. I'm not telling you to give, but whew, we don't have four people give $500 today. If I don't have nine people sow a seed of $1,000 and so on down the line. Bless you. If we, if we continue to do that to people, we are going to drive them from the faith because what we're promising them doesn't happen. The goal is not to get more. The goal is to have a heart that says, I would be so glad to help. I would be, it would be my pleasure to get involved here and help in some kind of way. I might not be able to meet the entire need, but I can help. The second one, a willing heart. Not just a cheerful heart, but a willing heart. One that says, I want to be involved. Not, okay, let's, let me paint a little hypothetical scenario for you. I don't think there's anybody here that falls into this category, so it'll be a good one for us. <clears throat> so it won't be like I'm indirectly talking about somebody. Let's pretend there's a new young couple, and, you know, they're pregnant, and, you know, they're just starting out their life. They've been married, you know, for a year. They're pregnant for about three months, and, you know, now um, the guy started a new job, and it's been great. Got open the door for him, but they got one car. She's at home because she's dealing with morning sickness, not able to work. He's the sole income earner, and the two tires on his car blow out. He's doing donuts in the parking lot. He's 20, 21. He's young, right? He blows out two of those, two of those tires, and we're sitting here looking and going, um, that dude needs that job. He needs to provide for his family. Let's go get him some tires. Matt, I can't buy two tires. I got 20 bucks. That's great. Give it to him. He'll be able to, it's a half gallon of gas, right? But he'll, it's something to help him down the road. Get involved at the level that you can. I'm willing to help. I'm willing to try to do this. Why? Because it's for another believer. Notice who this offering is going to. It's going to help other believers who are struggling in another city. These guys aren't even giving to something that they're going to benefit from. I'm not saying that they shouldn't give to chairs in a building or something like that. That, that. I'm not saying that. But these guys are not doing that. The baseline of this 
the attitude here is that I'm trying to help believers in another part of the world and there is no technology to connect us. I'm taking this guy's word and they will never see my face as the person who gave them the money and I am still happy to do it and willing to do it. That's convicting to me. Because there's still a part of me, as much as I hate to admit it, dang it, I hate when this happens. There's a part of me still that wants to be seen for the gift. It don't got to be by everybody. Just somebody's got to know that guy gave. I don't got to stand up from the pulpit or from the mountaintop or post it on social media. You'll never guess what I just gave the waitress. But if I'm honest, there's still a little piece of me that wants that recognition and I hate it. I want to be cheerful. I want to be willing. And the last part, the, the third attitude is a grateful heart. Do you think that it was your sheer desire and ambition that got you to the place today to, to have the money that you have today? Or was it God who gave you the ability to get wealth? And you used what he gave you as a skill, the mind, the talent, the ability to go start the business, to go get the job, to move up the ladder. Was it him? Because when we think it's us, we go, it's mine. I did the work for that. I sat there in a cubicle at a job I hate. Of course, that's my money. Mm -mm. He's the one who's responsible for it. And when we realize that he's the one who's responsible for it, it puts my heart in a different place of not entitlement, it's mine, but of gratitude that I have been entrusted with this. And if I'm grateful for what I have, and I'm grateful for my home, and I'm grateful for what I drive, and I'm grateful for fill in the blank, whatever it is that you, that, that you have, that you are grateful for, that your money has bought for you, and then you still have more left over, you go, man, God has put us in a place where I have more than what I need. I have an abundance. And what do I do with that? I'm going to find places that I can, and people that I can help. And the people I'm starting with is my family and my physical family that I am tied to here on this earth. But also the next line that I'm going to give to is my spiritual family. Why? Because in doing so, we reflect a grateful, cheerful, willing heart and example the giving nature of God to our families and to each other. When you remove the entitlement, this is mine. I'm the one that worked for this. This is my blood, sweat, and tears right here. This is my time. And you take that away and go, God, thank you that I'm even in a physical, mental position to be able to have this conversation and help and to work and to do the job that is laid out in front of me. When that changes, your heart changes. The next line in your notes, then money isn't a love to be pursued. Money is simply a tool to be used. 
It's not a love to be pursued. It's a tool to be used. I don't know the last time I'd pulled out a $20 bill and thought, this is a screwdriver. I don't know the last time I pulled out a $10 bill and thought, this is a wrench. It's to do a specific job. I don't know the last time I pulled out a $5 bill and thought, this is a hammer. I heard, this is pretty funny to me. It may not be you, but it was to me. <clears throat> um, I heard a guy talk about our former president and say, he's like a hammer looking for a nail. And when he hits a nail, you go, oh, it's satisfying. Boom, that's what it was used for. He finds another nail and hits it, and that was what it used for. It was great. He finds another hammer or a nail, and he's a hammer, and he hits that nail. And then every once in a while, he finds a baby. And he raises that hammer, and everybody goes, God, no, stop, stop. What are you doing? I'm a hammer looking for a nail. If you're using the tool properly, it satisfies and benefits you. But if you use it improperly, it causes destruction. Money is the same way. If I'm going to use it for what God has given it to us for this purpose, it is going to be beneficial. It's going to bring some kind of satisfaction. But if I'm using money in the wrong way, hammer to the baby, it winds up being eternally destructive. You might be thinking, okay, okay, so my heart is important, but how do I give? Paul talks about in this passage we just read, he talks about giving freely, giving generously, determining in your own heart, in your own mind, what you want to give. Go back and look at your budget and feel like, hey man, I'm down this month, but next month I've got X amount of dollars. I can help out this person in this way or whatever that is. Does that encompass giving to the church? Absolutely. Does that mean that's the only place you give? Absolutely not. There are moments, this might cook your noodle a little bit. I'm big on prayer and fasting and reading your Bible. I push you to do that all the time. Part of your spiritual discipline. Do not neglect that. We just did a whole series on the Bible, the importance of how God not only inspired the word, but preserved it for us. The Bible is wildly important. Prayer is wildly important. But I'm going to make a statement here in your notes that might seem a little contradictory, but I'll explain it. There will be times we don't need to pray before we give. Sometimes there are. But there are sometimes there's not. When are those moments? Not John 3.16, but 1 John 3.16-19. through 19. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. He's talking about spiritual family there. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need and shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Our actions will show that we belong to the truth so that we will be confident when we stand before God. If I'm going to hypothetical it again. You look at your budget and after all of your things you got to pay for, after all your bills are paid, your 
you're putting money away for retirement, all your emergency fund, all you're out of debt, all that stuff. You got a thousand dollars left every month. Let's just pretend. And that guy who busted both his tires needs $142 to put two tires on the back of his car. And we look at him and go, let me go before the Lord, brother. Uh, First John just told you you don't have to do that. Meet the need. Meet the need. Matt, I can't meet the whole thing. No problem. Get involved. It's not about the amount that you give. Remember the story of the widow who gave her two mites, which is equivalent to a penny in our current culture? He looked at her and said, this woman has given more than all of these because she gave what she had knowing that she may not have anything else for a while. And everybody else over here gave out of their abundance. Give what you can. Why? It's a heart condition. I'm not passing around the offering buckets to be like, give here, give here, give here. We're going to take up an offering. You guys emotionally in that spot right now, we've worked it. Because I've had many people who've tried to get me to do that. Not here, but earlier in ministry. Don't take the offering at the, the middle, Matt. Either take it right after worship because people are emotionally involved right there you take it right there and they just they forget all their problems because they're in worship and they've cried and they feel good and they just give more or take it after an altar call but you leave that altar call up don't leave people down make them go up let's get up let's celebrate god's going to do this for you he's going to come and now they're full of faith and they're giving even more money it's the way you take an offering i've been told that by more than one more than two more than three i can't do it Why? Because manipulating the sheep for our bank account in the church, I think, is disgusting to God. Because I'm just trying to pry money out of your wallet and into the offering plate instead of looking at you as a brother and sister in Christ and going, where's our heart? Do we have a cheerful heart that's willing to give? Or does the first time that you had extra money and then you found out that that guy needed tires, you go, oh. As soon as I got a little bit of breathing room, just ding it. I can buy one of them. Can you find somebody else to buy the other one? Why? It's not willing. It's not cheerful. It's not grateful. And in those moments... Paul didn't exactly say it, but I kind of get it from what he's saying. Keep your money. Don't give it. We're not taking something that's like, oh, stinking Jerusalem believers again are in trouble. Go help them. Nope. What can I do to support the people of God anywhere in the world, even if they never see my face? Last line of your notes. 
Our goal should be to have a heart after our Lord in everything we do, including what we do with our money. What is the heart of our Lord? John 3, 16, the most famous verse in the Bible. For God so loved the world that he... that he gave. Before you ever knew you were in need, he gave. Did he give money? No. He gave far more. There were moments in the New Testament where people would beg Peter, can you give me something? A blind man sitting by, by the edge of the road, can you give me money and he said silver and gold have I none but what I do have I give to you he gave him something greater than money is giving limited to money no just what we're talking about in this series full disclosure I um, sat this morning <clears throat> as I normally do on Sunday mornings going through the message and making last-second tweaks and printing notes and all that kind of stuff. And after I got all that done, I kind of sit down, and sometimes I have time to do it, sometimes I don't, but I, I did today. Sat down on the edge of my bed in my room, and um, I said, God, I want you to prepare my heart before I speak this, because... Last week was the message I was afraid of, and so my fear is kind of gone right now, so just don't let me come and be, like, harsh or anything. Just deal with me before I deal with anybody else and present your word. Just deal with me. I had a moment that I ask all of you every week, you know, what's the Holy Spirit saying to you to the message? I kind of asked myself that question after I went through it again, and <clears throat> I was feeling full of faith and feeling full of gratitude, and then all of a sudden, it was like God pushed this thing up in me. And I started having a conversation out loud with someone who I was frustrated with. They weren't there. I'm not nuts. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I just started talking, you know, out loud to this person is kind of how I would deal with them if I ever seen them. And I was frustrated, and I was a little bit angry, and God, you know, why did this come up during my prayer time? This is dumb, God. This is, get behind me, devil, right? This is a distraction from what I'm trying to do. But that was exactly what God was trying to show me. And in this frustration and this anger kind of come out with me, and I have a little bit of hurt from a situation, and something happened. And then it was almost as if, and I can't, I can't explain it really any other way, but it's almost as if God picked up a rock and showed me what was underneath it in my heart. And the rock was my situation and the thing I said I was hurt over. And he picked it up and showed me underneath it. And what poured out of me was I was jealous. Had some envy. I disguised it really well. Well, I'm just hurt and I was done wrong. And yeah, I was. But there's another side of that coin. Where I had to look at someone who was 
prospering in a financial way differently than me and go, there's a part of this. It's my own envy. Those moments are great and they suck. Because what God does to you, he does to me too. I just sit there and repent and ask God to forgive me today. And ask him to remove all traces of it because I didn't want there to be a little thing that touched everything, contaminated everything that would come out of me. Just a reminder that the people who are sitting here speaking to you are not the ones who found something cool to say. They're the ones who hear the message first. And so my question to you today is the same one I asked myself this morning. What's the Holy Spirit saying to you through this message? You might be all good. You might be like, this is confirmation I'm on the right track with my money, great. My heart is in a good position, and when it comes to finances, great. I w I'm happy for you, genuinely. But is there any area of our heart when it comes to the area of money and finances that we go, something that doesn't belong there is sitting right here inside of me. Maybe it's not. Maybe I'm the only one, but I am in that category. I was this morning. 